0: Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note, and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets? Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets
1: over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month
0: on time, like clockwork. I'll say, another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now, listen to The Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer.
1: Hi, I'm Barack and this is the Barack Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Uh, okay, so... Um, we, we have many things are all happening all at the same time right now. Um, we have uh, the Brussels um, uh, matter exploding in, in Brussels, of course, uh, another terrorist attack that may have been sped up because of the finding of a terrorist suspect there. Um, and, and then you have, of course, the presidential race and such. Uh, but one of the most interesting things going on right now is symbolism. What do I mean by that? I mean, Ari, that that you have a president that is going to Cuba, and he is very proud of himself, and he's opening up the doors to Cuba and the relationship and trade with Cuba and so forth, and he meets with Raul Castro and, of course, the whole contingent of the government down there in Cuba. And he goes to a baseball game over there. Uh, while, of course, this is all happening in Brussels. You know the the fact that he's noticeably not making a big deal of the Brussels event. Went and instead, goes to this baseball game. Is the optics are just horrible.
2: The fact, and you're talking about the fact that he didn't just bump it off his schedule, fly home. Yeah, just exactly. do something other than show up at a baseball game doing the wave.
1: Exactly. The or he could have just. I mean, if he wanted to stay in Cuba, that's fine. But then he could have just spent the whole day in, in the American Embassy or whatever, whatever locale they've created for themselves, so they can deal with the issues in Cuba. Fine. But uh, he, he could have easily gone back. It's it's not that far away from Washington D.C. Right so, but he does this, and that's that's optics, and you can talk about the optics uh of how the president I, I recall when there was a beheading of a of a of a prisoner at one point, you know the next thing you know he's going off golfing and talking about oh that's really bad what happened with the beheading uh four <laughs> and that's about that's what that's who he is okay, so look getting getting away from that though, because you can always argue somehow that you can catch a president going on a vacation at a, at an inappropriate time and you know after 8 years there's there's going to be moments like that but what i can't forgive is and this is really where we're launching from when he has this contingent of americans and cubans together all the government dignitaries including himself and raul raul castro and they have a photo and it's staged very well every you know it's all been organized this was very the, deliberately very deliberately right it, uh, they planned it all out and everything else. They, they knew what the background was. What is the background that they had? It was the famous uh, mural of Che Guevara, who was the revolutionary that supported the Cuban Revolution and who was the murderous thug who killed hundreds of thousands of people. This, this man, Che Guevara, was a horrendous, evil man. Okay? And, and they take this picture with Che Guevara in the back. And it's of that of which I would like to speak now. First of all, what the frig is going on here, right? This, this is, uh, arguably, you can say, this, this is a very bad man, and why would you want to associate with this? You're talking Che, not Obama, Yeah, Che, che, che Guevara. Sentence. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Why would, you, why, why would you, Obama, want to associate with Che Guevara, right? You clearly know that there, there's bad things associated with that. Or maybe you don't know, or maybe, Mr. Obama, you have such An affinity towards socialism And it's and its uh, not so distant Cousin, com- uh, communism That you're okay with this That Che Guevara's Actions and murder sprees Were necessary evils Along the very important Road toward socialism And equality for all Maybe that's what, the way you think Maybe he's truly revolutionary He was merely a soldier who ended up killing a lot of people But by golly you know, uh, he, he did the right thing at the end of the day, and, and now we have this island paradise known as Cuba. I, I don't know quite what's going on in his head. I never do. It, he's, he's to some extent a mystery. But we've talked before about how it is clear that he has an affinity toward Islam. But it's also clear that he has an affinity toward socialism and perhaps to communism. I, I don't know about that, but for, for sure we know that he has a, a deep, affinity towards socialism. He's expressed it in many different ways. One of the things that he said, for example, is that if, if only we acted like Scandinavia, we wouldn't have a lot of our problems. Okay, Scandinavia is the ultimate in socialism. So he, he perceives it to be a very good thing. But just imagine, it, 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 we're in a country now where the, the very notion of the Confederate flag, for example, is, is, is enough to send people out in a tizzy. They, they, go, they go, go in a hissy fit. If you dare show uh, a Confederate flag in a book, no less, that's enough to make them go crazy.
2: Yeah, you can't even buy a, a model of the General Lee from Dukes of Hazard right. on eBay anymore. Oh,
1: good point. That's good how point. Yeah, good. Exactly. We're not even
2: talking about the flag itself. Right. We're talking about just a car,
1: yeah. a toy car. It's it's really it's really remarkable, and yet, and, and yet, if you were to have a Che Guevara thing in the back, that that's Totally acceptable. So Confederate flag, not, not that I'm, you know, for the Confederate flag or I have any identity with the Confederate flag, but let's put it in perspective. The Confederate flag was merely a flag of the South. Okay? It was not a flag that said, we love slavery. It, it's not like, you know, the, uh, I forget which state has it, you know, but the, the snake and don't tread on me and, or live free or die sort of thing. It's not, it's not like that. It doesn't say the equivalent of slavery is us or anything like that, right? That's not what the Confederate flag was. You may choose to think that the Confederate flag is about slavery, but you wouldn't be right. Uh, as you said very well, Ari, offline, you know, very few people in the South actually owned slaves. So, yes, the war was between the North and the South, but that doesn't, and it was about slavery for sure. But that doesn't mean that the Confederate flag was, was itself about slavery. The Confederate flag was about, uh, about the South. That's it. You know, this, it's, it's a region. No, no less than the California flag is about California. Now, there, there are many bad things in California. Do we say that, that uh, I mean, for example, Charles Manson killed a, a whole bunch of people here, and it happened right here in California. Therefore, the California flag is about Charles Manson right that's the syllogism that, that you could easily make or many other things that happen uh, that happened bad here in california altamont oj the san francisco giants plenty of bad <laughs> the fans. san francisco giants i'm
2: a docs yes. fan so there
1: you know. go yeah i should have started off with that <laughs> right uh, but anyway so you can say all these horrible things and and you know california flag offends me for all those reasons yeah, okay, the South had slavery. It's an evil institution. But guess what? The rest of the world also had slavery and had it far more perniciously than, than America did. And we fought a, a very bloody war to end slavery as well. But the point is that if we have that much energy and uh, horrific uh, attitude towards slavery, uh, toward the South, the symbol of the Confederate flag. flag, why can't we have at least 20% of that When it comes to the mural of Che Guevara, or you know, there's there are a few friends of mine uh, and and liberal friends, and you go to their houses, and and you see paintings of Che Guevara, like like it's an artwork, you understand, and you point it out to them. You say, you you know that Che Guevara was a murderous thug. I mean, he he killed hundreds of thousands of innocent people, and why you would have him there is is kind of a mystery to me, and they say, oh, it's just a piece of art. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I said, well, I said, well, wait a minute. What if you had Hitler there and exactly with the same I was going to suggest actually an Eichmann. Okay, Eichmann. Right? Eichmann. <laughs> you, you name it. And, and you know, you, you kind of make it kind of propaganda kitsch, I suppose. And and you make it Hitler with the same sort of look that Che Guevara has. And he's, he looks, you know, longingly into the future at some sort of angle. And, and you say, well, isn't that beautiful art? Well, you say that, that. And then, then they said, that's ridiculous. And I say, why is, why is that ridiculous? Because that's Hitler. And Well, why is that bad compared to Che Guevara? Because Hitler killed millions of people and killed, you know, a fellow Jews. And, and, and wait, wait a minute, you mean you're saying that the people that were killed by Che Guevara were somehow less valuable as human beings than the Jews that were killed? That's exactly it. That's, that's what a great point. Yeah. So this is, this is the world we live in. It's a world of symbols. That is very powerful, and this doesn't go just you know, to Che Guevara. It also goes to Mao. This, this romantic notion that we have met with Mao, with Lenin, for that matter,
2: or the hammer and sickle. People yeah. wouldn't get caught dead with a swastika.
1: Right. Oh, they're totally fine. totally fine. Totally
2: hammer and sickle.
1: Yeah. There's, there's no problem with that. Never mind what the, the hammer sickle actually uh, means and, and all the, the evil that it wrought upon the world. Um, it, it's, it's a horrific thing. Symbolism is very powerful, and you have to understand that you can't just have it one way, as as it were. Uh, and Obama is constantly uh, letting himself be infused with these symbols. And Che Guevara, in particular, you'll recall back by the way, in 2008, um, there was uh, all these posters of him that were very evocative of the Che Guevara. Mural.
2: Oh yes, the hope and change. Yeah the, yeah, the hope and wine, yeah.
1: which I think is red and blue, or uh, yeah,
2: but it had the exact same style as the posters of Mao yeah. and Stalin and and Lenin. It's yeah. the exact same image
1: system. It was meant to evoke that image, right? And and I think it was successful. It was a very successful. Well, he won the election. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, the, there's this notion of rebellion somehow. There's this notion of youth and revolution that is very appealing to so many people. But they they forget that revolutions. Uh, are very, very bloody, and they're very. They're, most of the time, they're evil. Well, it depends. The, the exception. The, the exception is the American Revolution.
2: Right. It depends on the revolution. The interesting thing is, they never have have a picture of uh, Sam Adams or Thomas Paine. Yeah, that's right. Or, or Thomas Jefferson. It's always Che Guevara or Lenin.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's always a, They always make those people. By the way, have you noticed that all these dictatorships, including Saddam Hussein, who had nothing to do with socialism, they, the dictatorships always have. A huge mural of themselves everywhere throughout their respective countries. Saddam Hussein had it. Lenin had it. Castro has it. King Jung, yeah, Jong-il. he's a good example. Uh, it, it's all over the yeah, world. Paul they,
2: Pot was famous for it too. Yeah,
1: yeah. They, they they elevate themselves to to the level of God, and and they want everyone to see themselves. And this is the way they view it. By contrast, in with true heroes like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. You don't, other than the, the Lincoln Monument, I suppose, in D.C. But it's not a, a monument to be revered. It's it's a monument to, to to look at and say this was a great man, yes, and to learn from history. But we don't we, we don't look at him for purpose, as if he's a god of some kind. Yeah, it, and, and we don't it, we don't embalm him either, right? right? We don't do that at all. I mean, that that's so a- anathema to us in America. The idea of embalming these. But but they do it with Lenin. They did it with uh, Ho Chi Minh. I I saw the embalming of of Ho Chi Minh. And God knows how many other people that they think is appropriate to do because they want to elevate them to God status.
2: Right. The only thing that our opponents on the left will point to is that we put the the pictures of these men on money. But notice money is something different. Money The pictures of these great men on money is to remind us of the value that's higher than money.
1: That's right. That's right. I, I, I totally agree. I don't think, you know, when you have something on money, or you're, you're you're simply referencing a historical point. It's a way of differentiating one bill from the other. <laughs> that's really it. So it might as well be great heroes of the American um, founding. That's That's it. That's all it is. So we're on the same page with it. But what happens with men like Obama is that they get sucked into this and they don't realize how they're being played. I think that you made a good point also, Ari, about how while he's stepping into um, the, the picture and being staged for the picture, of course, knowing that Che Guevara is in the background,
2: well, uh, I the said monument. even if he doesn't know what's in the background, it's not like presidents don't have a bunch of handlers who look at the tableau being constructed, right? And say, "Hey, time out, we got to cover that up." I mean, what if there was a naked person in a oh, absolutely. No, obscene position? What if there was a you know phallic object that was too realistic right Well they, they, but but
1: but but that you're you're giving him too much credit because yes. I think Obama is so vain and so self-aware of himself that he uh, he knew very well that the Jacob Mural was right behind him. Oh, he, yeah, well, he was he was more than happy to have it behind him. In fact, he was trying to make a point.
2: Well, that's my point is is if for people who point to this and say naivete, is the reason he got Staged in a tableau like that uh, The counter argument is No First of all He had people who saw it Before the Before the button was pushed And third of all He damn well knew Where he was standing
1: Yeah He, he knew it Of course he, he knew He knew it Yeah But this is not the first time That this has happened with Obama He's, he's done it many times before He's He's uh, shaking the hands of uh, of a lot of Arab leaders uh, and elevated their status. by bowing bowing to them, them, yes. Right? And by contrast, he he diminished Bibi Netanyahu, not because that he's Bibi Netanyahu, as so many of my liberal friends try to distinguish, saying, oh, no, it's because he doesn't agree with Bibi in particular. No, he doesn't agree with Israel or its existence at all. That's the main thing. He's got an affinity for Islam to such an extent that he doesn't understand that Israel is a fantastic country, it's, it's, it's the only democracy in the, in the region. Um, he, he, it's not that he doesn't get it. He, he gets it very well. Uh, but he's being played, whether he likes it or not, and he wants so much that the world likes him that he himself at some point believes the symbolism and, and the embrace of the symbolism that's right behind him. The Che Guevara one being a, the best example I can think of.
2: Yeah, and there was the one with Hugo Chavez, where he's at some sort of uh, summit for Western... And, and the book, right? Yeah, he hands of the book, shakes his hand, and makes sure that the Venezuelan uh, photographer gets that picture so they can use it in the Venezuelan press.
1: Right. It's, uh, and, and, and this is the way they they propagandize. They constantly are trying to play him. And he doesn't realize he's being, that part I don't think he's aware of. He, he is being played and he doesn't understand it. He thinks he's, he's, he's doing something really wonderful for the world by showcasing the wonders of Che Guevara. You know, it, it's kind of like, I don't know, uh, making rap music, somehow it's a classical music. It's, it, it just ain't, right? And, um, you know, but it, all, all music as it gets older becomes part of the, the cultural mainstream, right? So, like, Eric Clapton used to be rebellious as, as music, as far as music went. Yeah, yeah, he now he's established. Yeah, n- now yeah. he's an old-time guy. He's, right. he's safe music. If you were to ask an interviewee at a job, what kind of music do you listen to? He would say, oh, I like, you know, to, to play it safe, he would say, the Rolling Stones, a little Eric Clapton, some Beatles, you know, and, and that's safe, right? But back then, you'd be a rabble-rouser. You'd, you'd be looked on as, some, as, a, as a real wild, you know, left-wing sort of nut.
2: Yeah, back then you had to say Bing Crosby, right? And you would even say Frank Sinatra. You know? And
1: that may be the point uh, here, which is that that Che Guevara, the the icon of Che Guevara, and for that matter Mao and Lenin, and and to, to a lesser extent Stalin, have become so fashionable and so part of the cultural iconography that that you that they embrace it as though it, it's a valid thing, and that, that at the end of the day, uh, these these. These men, uh, throughout all the world, Mao and Che and so on, well, they were like founding fathers, don't you know? In no less the same way that George Washington and Hamilton and John Adams and and Thomas Jefferson, they were founding fathers of America. Well, these these men were founding fathers of of socialism, don't you know? And we are to celebrate them.
2: Do you see a a slippery slope where someday Hitler would? the stench of Hitler's deeds would wear off and he too? Because I, that's, that's the direction that I, it I inevitably s- leads. Yeah,
1: I have said that many times. I, I completely believe that that is the case for, for many reasons. One is, and, and sadly the most important one, is that um, Jews in the world population are becoming less and less of a percentage of the world population. Why do I say that? Why do I say that with such comfort and, and not with comfort, but confidence? Jews are not growing their numbers. We're basically the same amount of people since the end of World War II. Uh, we were, after Hitler did his job of uh, one third, uh, killing one third of the Jewish population, the horrific job that he did, uh, it went down from 18 million to 12 million. And now we're, worldwide, we're probably at 13 million. It's really, it's, it's remained stagnant. The actual numbers. But the rest of the world, of course, has exploded in population, and they are uh, so as a consequence the, the the percentage of Jews compared to the rest of the world is much smaller and that's true everywhere even in America so uh, what that means is at some point we become like gypsies now we're still influential and we're still you know very entrenched in in, in providing great science and everything else but think of the last time you you, you were concerned about how people think about the gypsies, right? We've, we still have a word, you know, he gypped me, which means to cheat somebody, right? But, you know, there are not that many gypsies around to be offended by such a phrase. So we use that phrase with impunity. But you would never say, you know, um, you know don't Jew me down. You know, that's a, that's a very bad phrase. But that's because there are enough Jews in the world to be offended by it. But what happens if, you know, percentage-wise, we are only, you know, 0.001% of the world? And what if even those remaining Jews are, are not even that attached culturally or religious, religiously to, the, to, to Judaism or to God? So the, they, they don't speak out. And then also
2: forget the Jewish connection to Hitler as the generations of Americans who fought and died in World War I disappear. The cultural memory of World War II. Of World War II yeah. As, as those people disappear, there there will be fewer people connected to what Hitler did.
1: Right, and and more and more people are questioning whether the 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 Holocaust ever happened, as if it's somehow, you know, it's a mystery. It's uh, this this fanciful notion. It'll be not quite like whether or not that the the Exodus ever happened with Moses, uh, but it'll be something in between reality and and what with the exodus. And uh, that's unacceptable of course, but if if the if the people that Hitler killed or tried to kill to exterminate altogether are no longer a significant portion of the world, well then people will not even bother anymore to think in those terms of like wow, he really killed those Jews. They'll instead just focus on his love of country, his um, giving a sense of pride to the people and so on.
2: Health care, treatment of animals. yeah, whatever. Well, the other thing I just realized contributes to it is the influx of Muslim population in Europe. as the European indigenous population disappears, there won't be the nation states that were affected by Hitler even in existence at some point.
1: Well, at some point they'll also find that it's easier. Simply easier, and the European Union is, is a union that's that's uh, that the, the boundaries are meaningless at this point, right? Yeah. So by by making the boundaries meaningless, they've also made life itself meaningless. They have no sense of boundaries. It's all falling apart. So, uh, more to your point, it, it all gets diluted, and they wonder why what they're actually fighting for. And in the meantime, you know, why wouldn't it be easier for them simply to say, you know what? Why are we fighting for Israel? Why are we? you know, supporting Israel. It's, it's, you know, we don't need to suffer this terrorism. It's, it's just not worth it to us.
2: Yeah, and that's assuming there is an Israel in one well, hundred yeah. years.
1: Uh, well, God willing, there's still is, of course. But um, the, the, the European mindset, and it's already there. It, it already started in the 70s, by the way, 1970s. They just they gave up on supporting Israel because they thought that by doing so, they would appease the the terrorists who would no longer bully them or threaten them with terrorism for supporting Israel. That was their calculation. It's it's well documented, but they're finding out to their surprise and to their dismay that it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, the opposite's happening <clears throat> as evidence today. That's
1: right. That the the less you support Israel, the more that you'll be attacked, and it's not just today in Brussels. It was you know the, the two Paris attacks of last year, and you know it's it, it, it's happening all over Europe. Um, and. You'll just have to just kind of embrace what they have to offer if you want to live. And they just don't have the passion anymore.
2: Yeah, and also look how uh, the power of symbolism extends to even things that aren't classic symbols, but events that then become part of the iconography. Uh, September 11th, people looked at it as an attack with various elements to it, but they overlooked the the main point of it which was symbolic the largest city in america the tallest building in the largest city and the destruction essentially or the, the the yeah the evaporation of of america's freedom within our transportation system the 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 free right to travel is an elemental right and ever since september 11th we have, as americans have essentially lost that right no fly list, the scrutiny, the shoes, these, these lines, all as a way of, of providing political correctness cover for the tougher decision, which would be to say the problem comes from these people. That's these right. people need to be quarantined from the system and given scrutiny, not all these other people.
1: Yeah, it's exactly right.
2: Because the symbolism of September 11th as a tower and as a city, I think, is so overwhelmingly hum- humiliating to Americans to look at that truth. Right. They, they much prefer to look away from that and ignore it instead of seeing that. Right. Well, that's why.
1: That's why. Two, that's why. Uh, uh, September 11, 20, 2001, um, is largely a date that is slowly going away. It's not. It's no longer the date that shall live in infamy. As as uh, December 7 was supposed to be, and, and it was, and still is, it's it's a date that people would rather forget because it's constantly a reminder to them that they have to fight this evil. And this is this is kind of all looping back now to what you know Obama did in front of the Che Guevara uh, mural, and just the fact that he's opening up markets and everything else. This this embrace of, of symbolism that. That does not fight back. That, that it's easier to embrace the Chicovara symbolism, whereas embracing the symbolism of 9/11 and all of its meaning, embracing the Star of David, or for that matter, the, the Christian cross. These, these symbols, are are painful for him to embrace. That's the last thing he would do. He would never have, for example, a similar. Uh, posturing of himself in front of uh, a, a crucifix of Jesus, with Jesus on it, right? He would try to avoid having a Star of David behind him. He would try to avoid, um, you, know, you know, over celebrating 9-11 and all of its meaning, although he, technically speaking, has to say something. But he, he, he's always kind of pushed himself away from that. These symbols, they, it's not that they mean nothing to him. He wants to run away from them. Um, likewise, he runs away from all the great men of history, whether that's Abraham Lincoln, <clears throat> uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and all the, the market ideas, Adam Smith and, and so on.
2: Down to the Churchill bust.
1: Down to the – thank you. Oh, such a great example, the Churchill bust. Those symbols he will throw away. Those symbols he will ask people to, to, <clears throat> to get out of his presence. Um, so symbols are extremely powerful. And we have to understand – how, <clears throat> how important uh, our lives are with symbols, that we, in fact, uh, must embrace the good symbols and must issue the bad symbols. And I, I don't think this president has done that, um, and the next president, whoever that may be, uh, is going to have to be a strong, strong president to understand this. And, and to fight Islam, to fight radical Islam in particular, you have to, first of all, acknowledge the phrase and then actually deal with it. And th- those are two th- neither two things that, that Obama would do. Talk about symbols, right? So we, we have that to some extent with Donald Trump. We have that with, certainly with Ted Cruz. We, I know that we don't have that with uh, Hillary Clinton. And uh, you know Bernie Sanders is gonna be irrelevant in any event, but certainly he, he has no interest in it whatsoever. But look at, look at the symbolism, for example, uh, at APEC. Uh, AIPAC recently had its com- uh, convention, its, its yearly convention in Washington, D.C. It's a huge event, tens of thousands of people uh, appear, and all the major candidates will speak during an election year like this. And if they don't speak uh, during election year, then, then the president speaks on an off year and so on. And it's very powerful. And what's so difficult for people like Obama is that AIPAC, and Israel for that matter, Israel itself is a symbol. And to align yourself with Israel is to align yourself with a symbol of good. That's, that's the difference. And when people fight Israel, it's because they don't want to recognize its goodness. Just in the, the same way that, like you talked about, they don't want to talk about the meaning of 9-11. They don't want to talk about the meaning of the American Revolution. The, the, the goodness of Israel is, is all that's talked about when when AIPAC's on the floor. That's why I, I've noticed, not surprisingly, that AIPAC, which is a very pro-Israel group and lobbies on behalf of, of Israel, uh, is becoming more and more conservative. In the old days, it was 50-50. Now it's 70-30, conservative, liberal. And I'm, I'm so thrilled to see that. But I'm not surprised, either, because the liberal community doesn't believe in symbols except for the symbols that make them feel good and that is what we saw with Obama being in front of the Che Guevara mural that's all it was all right when we get back we're going to be talking a little bit about the notion of science and what it all means Um, why do we even have science in the first place and the structure of science don't go away we'll be right back
0: Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah,
1: Dennis, and very quickly, my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business.
0: All right, how did you resolve that one?
1: Turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale, because we knew the landlord would not not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes, you have to know how to time your luck.
0: Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now, listen to The Barack Lurie Show, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The End.
1: Hi, it's uh, Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Okay, today uh, we're also going to be talking, as I mentioned, about the structure of science. Now, this is a topic that I find to be near and dear, but uh, you know, I love science. I, I've said it many times before that you really can't appreciate God without really understanding science. Yes, you can, you can study it and you can believe in it. And that's wonderful, and I think belief is a wonderful thing. But so much more rich, isn't it, if you can see it through science. I, I've said before that God is a scientific discovery. That's, that's the way we should look at it. Now we can we can approach God from many different ways, like I said, you can have the faith uh, you can but you can have the, uh, the the belief system like we said but but how about if you develop your belief as a result of science now people saying, well, come on, Barack, how can you possibly say that that god is is the result of science uh, well well <laughs> how how can it not be that's the whole point. science itself is so majestic, it's so pristine and the laws of physics are so constant um, that the complexity of the human cell is so amazing and the, the, the symphony of the planets and the galaxies and, the, and then, of course, more importantly, the probabilities of life ever happening in the first place, the probabilities of the universe ever happening at all, and that if the universe is to happen, instead of it being kind of like dissipated completely, that it actually clumped as it is into the planets and everything else that we see. Um, that is one out of a quintillion chance you know that? One out of a quintillion chance. And it's as as one, I guess, astronomer called it. It's the equivalent of taking one grain of sand out of all the uh, sands in the entire world of all the beaches. And if you took out that one grain of sand, it wouldn't happen the way that that it happened. That's how precise it had to be in order to, to see what we're seeing. So it's one amazing coincidence after the other, and that's to say nothing of, you know, the fact that what do they call irreducible complexity? People never talk about that. They don't understand what irreducible irreducible complexity is, right? Um, the fact that things have to work together, and they could not have evolved independently to, to find each other. A very simple example are, are the eyes. Right? You have two eyes, right? Well, and they're they're put in. Two different places on your head. And the reason why we have two eyes is for the purpose of stereoscopic vision, right? It's not as if one eye developed first and then on one side of the head and then another eye developed on the other side of the head. No, they work together in tandem. And there are so many other things that work together, okay? And I'm not just talking about hot dogs and ketchup. I'm talking about very sophisticated things that work together. It's hot dogs and mustard. Oh, yes. I'm oh, Sorry, sorry. And I prefer and mustard, relish. Ketchup. Yeah, sauerkraut. Onions. Uh, those things go together, man. <clears throat> it's science, I tell you. Science. Um, anyway, so, but but one of the things that, you know, that really kind of befuddles me is when scientists, they they study these uh, certain things and they they get, they get, focused on really odd things, um, and then they, they study uh, something in the microscope without any reflection to themselves as to why things are the way they are. They, they talk about it from an evolutionary perspective because they need some sort of pattern to, to, to figure it out. I'm talking about life forms, of course. That they'll do, but a structure like there must be a designer out of this, that they won't accept. But the point is, with that, without God, there is no structure to science, is there? It's like deciding I'm going to learn uh, French, and I'm just going to learn uh, French here and there, you know, this word and that word, and think that I that I one day I'll start learning French and I'll speak the language. No, it doesn't work that way, right? If you actually take a foreign language, you know that you start off with the basic pronouns like I, me, you, and and so on. Maybe a couple of phrases like how are you, and all that stuff, right? Bonjour. But then you, then you get into you know, the, the nouns. Then you get into verbs. And you, after a long time, you learn about past tense. And you, learn, you get all into that. You learn about future tense, conditional tense, and, and so on. And you learn about the, the, the way the words fit together. You don't just kind of put it all together. And then you also have to learn about cultural phrases. You don't just kind of assume the same phrases exist in French that, that does in English. It, it would make no sense. You cannot learn French, or any language for that matter, without some structure. That seems obvious, right? Likewise with math. You wouldn't just say, well, I'm gonna learn math by you know, figuring out what four plus six is today, and then I'm gonna learn what two, two minus, you know, three minus two is, is tomorrow, and then learn all the combination of numbers possible and, uh, and and then eventually I'll be a master in everything. No. There's a rhythm to it, there's a structure to math, isn't there? And then of course you start with, you know, addition and then more complicated addition and then subtraction and then multiplication yeah, and division.
2: That, you have to start with counting. You have yeah. to start with yeah. zero through nine yeah. first. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and you get the concepts. And you can't understand multiplication without first understanding adding, right? So and you kind of show you know, groups of things for multiplication purposes, and then division, and it, 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 there's a structure to the pattern. In fact, we, we all speak that language when we talk about our kids, right? What grade is Charlie in? Oh, he's in first grade now, and he's learning this, and now he's moving up to second. There is structure, third, fourth, fifth, and so on, and there are certain basic things that you learn as you proceed. That is called structure, but when it comes to science, And the way that so many scientists are approaching science, they are just the equivalent of what we were laughing about before, about the French language, just learning words bits at a time and figuring out that they'll know something. Not smart. You need structure. And I put it to you that the structure will fall into place if you put God right in the middle of it. Plunk. Just like that. And then things will start to make sense. Because... If you, if you took that as a paradigm, just in, in the same way, in a micro sort of way, where they, they, where they were trying to figure out how the Earth fits into the solar system, but they, they insisted on having the Earth as the center of the solar system, well, then, you know, it kind of didn't make sense. You would have to kind of factor in all sorts of crazy things out of it. But once they decided to change the paradigm and put the sun in the center of it, everything started to make sense. Ah, now we can predict the motions because we've... We've changed the paradigm. And I, and I say to you, let's put God in the center of science. And if we do, I would bet you that everything would shape around that very well. Science would not only make more sense, and we would learn much more, but we would also get the perspective of what not to waste our time on. Right? We wouldn't make these false conclusions, and we wouldn't chase these things that mean nothing, like, say, for example, climate change. Okay? That that means nothing. It's it's a nonsense science. Doesn't make any sense at all. And we wouldn't be spending grants to study, you know, the maspiratory the you know, practices of a certain kind of bird. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't care about that. It means nothing. But people waste so much money and time and, and energy. Uh, on these scientific quests that that will, will teach us nothing, that, that don't are not profound by any stretch at, at all. Whereas we could be devoting our resources in a way to understanding why we're here and what our ultimate purpose is.
2: Uh, well, you you make a great point, and it's interesting. It, part of I think scientific structure is not jumping to conclusions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a complete jump to conclusions to immediately assume God doesn't exist or God is dead oh, or God never like that. was. Yeah, I like that. That's the ultimate conclusion to draw, yeah. jump to. And it's not a conclusion to jump to by putting God in the center of it because by putting God in the center of it, you're not saying that all scientific study leads directly to God. Uh, faith leads to God because there's a whole bunch of unexplained stuff between known science and God or right. a, a eventual conclusion. But to discount it after you've seen the majesty in all these different unrelated scien- sciences or, or fields of study of science is to totally discount the reality in front of you.
1: Well, it's, it's, that's so true. I love that. that the f- It's jumping to the conclusions. I like what you just said. that, that To suggest to, or to ignore better yet because that's what they really do. They ignore the God factor in it. Look, God is to kind of, kind of fine tune what you just said. You said not all scientific discovery leads to God. That's fair, um, but I can say that God is behind all scientific discovery. Right. And that, and God is behind all science, whether it's the the, the, the flapping of the butterflies or the, the rotation of the Earth around uh, around the sun, or the beginning of the universe, getting from small to big. Right. Uh, it's all God's doing.
2: Yeah. Some science some fields of science, say astronomy, are closer towards yeah. the path of God, right? The, the than big picture, yeah. Studying um, you know uh, migratory habits of butterflies. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just a smaller scale. Someone who does it might just have an interest in it, whatever. Right. And yeah, there is the majesty of God in the creation of the butterfly and all that wonderful yeah. flowery poetic stuff. Right. But it's significantly less, uh, shall we say, uh, grand. Right. Well, it, the
1: butterfly it. could go go extinct, and uh, it wouldn't necessarily dissolve the entire universe. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Talk, well, talking to certain people, it would dissolve the entire human race and everything else because everything is so, you know, circle of life and all that stuff. But that's another story. But I, I like what you said about the notion that somehow they assume all the while that there's no God in here at all. So they study it uh, anthropologically like, what is the evolutionary basis for this? Why is this happening? You know, so they'll see, you know, why, uh, you know, does this bird have a particularly long beak? Ah, because it needs to, you know, stick that beak into a a large, uh, you know, a deep hole that it's constantly getting out these worms. Ah, so that's the reason why. And that's all they... they, It's just purely deterministic. Everything that they perceive is just function and purpose, function and purpose. And that's it.
2: And there's a lot of yes, but. What do I mean by that? Yeah. You and I who look at the world through a, a generalist's eye because, you know, we have our fields of expertise, but we're interested in these other things that we, don't, we haven't gone into vocationally, right. but we can talk intelligently of it because we've observed and participated and right. studied. But we see um, <coughs> uh, moments of hmm. history, yeah. uh, little breaches of luck, all the way up to biblical story, and we see God's hand in something called miracles, that happen all the time. Any sports fan can tell you. Yeah, they happen. Right. But there's an attitude of yes, but for any time you point to the miracle occurrence, which happens quite often. Right. In, in even you know, uh, scientists love to talk about geological. Um, uh, epochs of time and say well our mere lives is a micro flash of time you know real time is tectonic plate movement or something right. like that right. but even within the flash of human existence our own say from the 1940s you know, to now with the rebirth of Israel we've seen multiple miracles right. multiple yeah. like a lot uh, and, and, and we'll point to them, and the scientific person will, will always, yes, but us, I as in, uh, yeah, yeah, you see a miracle. Yes, but science can't quantify it.
1: Right. and they'll, Or they'll say science will find an answer for it eventually. Right. So, you know, whatever you're saying. It's a perfect answer. It's it's, it's a perfect circular argument that's self-referencing and everything else. You, you, you either... If you can't explain it, well, then science one day will explain it, and therefore, you know, all your hocus pocus means nothing, Mr. David. Uh, my point is that, you know, science is always there, and you need to understand that it's there. It's a little bit, the way we approach science, uh, at least the community at large, or the scientific community at large, along with the nonsense of, of climate change and the population scare and everything else, these are, these are nonsensical pursuits in science, totally nonsensical. And, and they get us distracted away from the real goal of science, which is to pursue and find God, right? So I heard the other day, I said, you know, why are they not teaching American history? Why are they not teaching such and such? You know, there's a lot of things that they're not teaching in schools. And, and a teacher will say, well, you know, in the Internet age, you know, you can learn all that on the Internet. Okay? So that's like saying, I mean, let's, let's just say you just skipped history altogether. Why not skip history altogether, Right? and simply say, well, there it is on the Internet. Figure out history. What would you do? You know, the, the funny thing is, and if you're smart, at the end of the day, you'll you'll, you'll go to some sort of teaching class at about, about let's say, uh, Western civilization. You'll say, teach me about Western civilization, and they will give you a structural point of view. But that's just kicking the can down the road. But what they think is that you'll just kind of get bits and pieces of history. How will you be able to to... to to somehow reconcile it as a, as, a, as a big picture, to see how the pieces fit. You know, it's, it's, or like putting a puzzle together without any ha- having any frame of reference, and a huge piece of puzzle at like that, right? It's just a bunch of stuff. You wouldn't know what to do with it. You need some sort of frame of reference, and there is no frame of reference. There is no structure in science today. There was in the old days. That's the ironic thing about it, that when the Catholics first introduced the university, they were the ones who created it God bless them um, they, they designed the universe With this specific purpose Of finding God that, That's what science was for It was a philosophy The arts And science All had one basic mission Was to celebrate God And to discover God Right? So the, the study of biology The study of physics The study of chemistry You name it it had one clear mission. And that's why so much of what was studied back in the, in the medieval— uh, not in the medieval, but during the Renaissance and before with the, uh, with the university, it was so focused. It, there was no wasted time on nonsense. They didn't really focus on, on nonsensical things. They really wanted to understand how the human body worked. They wanted to understand the physics. They wanted to understand the, the stars and the universe— and how we got here. And they ask the big philosophical questions at the same time. But the reason why? God was in the picture. God is the anchor for all this. Or the, you know, the, 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 the sail that allows our boat to go forward, as, as I often use as a metaphor. Fascinating, right?
2: Well, it brings up an amazing question. It, or a revelation, a question on a revelation and I'll hope to phrase it the right way, but it's clear that you don't find God in the Bible. The Bible isn't for finding God. The Bible is to teach you lessons about life. Right. You find God outside the Bible, living life and studying
1: yeah, life. that's true. Although, <clears throat> I mean, not, not so much to correct you, but to clarify, because the, the Bible does...
2: Yeah, and just so you know, I just stumbled <clears throat> on this idea you know, I the last love five it. minutes. I, work with it. I'll work with you on <laughs> yeah. this one.
1: But the Bible, you know, unlike so many other things, you know, why does the Bible need to talk about in the beginning, right? It says in the beginning there was the heavens and the earth and the light and everything else like that. And then then came the dinosaurs and the large reptiles, they called it. Then came this kind of animal. Then the seas opened and and so on. I, I can't recite it perfectly now. But it does go into this whole litany of things before Adam and Eve. It does. And then Noah and so on like that. And the question is, why? Why bother? Why why is this necessary for us to know it, if it's just, uh, if our purpose is solely to learn lessons about human interaction?
2: Yeah, why wouldn't it just start with the God part of the
1: Red Sea, You're afraid of him? Right, yeah, why not? Or Adam and Eve, if you like. I mean, but but yeah, the the human interaction stories would just begin, but it doesn't. It begins off with the notion that there was a beginning, there was light, uh, and, and so on. The separation of the heavens and the earth and all that. Why is that necessary? Um, in that is the, the coding for all the, the appreciation for science. And it turns out that so much of what we are learning actually now is, is backing up what the Bible has already been telling us for thousands of years. We, science is now catching up with the Bible. The Bible's not catching up with science. Science is catching up with the Bible. Science is way behind. And that's not a surprise. Why? Because the Bible is divine. Now, you can say, well, Barack, you're just just saying that. That's a self-referencing thing. No. On the contrary. The more we learn about science, the more we realize how accurate the Bible is.
2: And also, by definition, things are divine that when they touch us, they make us better. Right. Well, the Ten Commandments is in the Bible, and the stories around the Ten Commandments, before and after, in the Bible Bookend, why the Ten Commandments are there, and if you're touched by the Ten Commandments, life is better for you, hence it's divine.
1: Right, right. That's not self referencing, yeah. that's pure evidence. That's right. Now, at some point, so, so let's take the science conclusion best. So now we have a direction. Now we see, ah, now I know where I'm going. I mean, right now, science is the equivalent of being in a fog, and you just, you know, you hear a, a sound here, right? And you, oh, okay, let's go there. And then you discover, well, it's just kind of rocks there, it's going nowhere. And then you're still in a fog, and then you hear another sound, and it's a seagull. So you go chase that, right? And you think something there. No well, no, it's just, you know, a seagull leaving its nest, and there's nothing there either. And you keep on hearing different sounds, and you're just kind of fumbling your way. You know, hoping that somehow you'll like like a blind man, you'll 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 end up feeling something and 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 be able to sit or stand or whatever. But you don't. But once You have God, it's it's the equivalent of the fog clearing. You have a clear direction of where you're where you're going, and that direction is God. And to to connect with God. And God wants us to connect by first understanding science, appreciating science, and seeing his glory in science and seeing the patterns in science. And there are little clues in everything they were doing. I mean just uh, take, take any scientific thing that you want the, the, That fascinates you And I'll show you How it's really a message from God In some way or another uh, I'll, I'll, And I'll start off You, you know, it's, it's well known All these spirals I forget what it's called It's the um, uh, There's an Italian word for it But it's you add certain numbers One plus two plus three And so on like that Or, or one times two or times three I forget And it's, it's a certain ratio And that ratio exists in all spirals Natural spirals, of course, in the and not just in seashells, uh, but and, and also in, in hurricanes, and also in galaxies, and DNA, and DNA even, yeah, just well, to lesser extent, it, 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 well, spiral spirals. The DNAs are a different kind of spiral. And you think, okay, well, that's bizarre. You know, is that some sort of function of physics? Maybe you know, because but it begs the question: Why is why are the laws of physics laws of physics at all? Why isn't it just random? Turns out there are laws, and is, and someone is observing them, right? Something's observing it. Nature is. You, you can say, why? Why is anything observing it? Why? Why must um, a, par- a particle fall toward gravity on Earth at nine point eight square meters per second? Why? Why does it always have to be that? And why couldn't it be something else? T- tomorrow? Why don't we have? Um, you know, in the same way we have uh, different weather uh, reports, why don't we have a gravity report? Today, the gravity will be at 1.2 Gs. <laughs> so please brace yourself accordingly. Tomorrow it will be 2.3 and so on. Um, these are patterns that, that you beg the questions. And I always say the questions are more important than, than the answers. The spiral is like you have to wonder what the hell is that all about? What's going on there? What is God trying to tell us? But if you were not to put God in the equation, you would just say, that's neat. It wouldn't dawn on you to think that maybe there's a message, message going on.
2: Yeah, bathroom drains, toilet flushes, and hurricanes.
1: Coincidence? Yeah, all coincidence, right? Right. right? I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of getting a, um, a piece of paper with a bunch of dots and different spreads, and you and I will look at it and say, well, that's mumbo jumbo. Well, someone else will say, I think that's Morse code, and it's telling us something. Maybe we ought to decipher that, right? And it's not happening. I mean, we, we, we're just not choosing to decipher all the miracles. As you say, everything is a miracle. Um, we're not choosing to, to study it as a miracle. And if, if we did, we might actually get somewhere. Because that's where the joy really comes in. That's where it's really fun. And that's where we also gain the perspective, because if you don't have God in it, you will have no perspective. You will be chasing crazy science. And, also and, and, and science that's that's polluted, distorted by policy that you want to advance, such as climate change.
2: Right, and that's why you look at humanity. You know, We're here in Los Angeles, and there are parts of Los Angeles where people like you and I exist in our lives where we're pursuing stuff. And there's other people who are doing things with their lives that are... Frankly, and I'm going to say I'm judgmental, complete waste of time. Right. Okay? That's right. Just go to Venice Beach and walk around. Yeah, they they,
1: they they are kites floating in the wind.
2: Yes. And they've taken this human resource that they are, their DNA, their brain power, their soul, everything, and they've applied it to nothing.
1: Yeah, that's right. And if... We, we call them lost souls, right? In right. a sense, they're just flitting about. We, that's the way we describe them. They're flitting about. Yeah, or uh, just, zombies, even. Yeah, yeah uh, that's right. You know, uh, we've mm-hmm. talked about this kind of thing
2: before. Right. But if, if science truly was being applied with this kind of divine pursuit and the revelations of its incredible glory... Were spread far and wide, both in our education system to the far reaches of as many people as possible in the city. You would have far fewer people flitting around in nothingness because they would be, like us, unable to live their lives in ways that were not in pursuit of greater glory right. for our species. Uh, we have a purpose yeah.
1: here. You're so right. That's, that's right. And if you have and this is kind of stepping away from the science argument, but it's so similar to what we were saying about the science argument. Science itself has a purpose, and we know that without purpose you cannot be a happy person. You never will be. And without that, without purpose in life, then what is the point? I mean, it's intuitive to us, right? So we seek purpose, and if we find that purpose, well, then we're probably going to be a happy person. But I, I, I can tell you that there are very few people that are truly happy unless they understand that there's a God in their lives. They may not even acknowledge it, but in reality, they're happy because they've accepted a notion of a higher authority that's actually in charge. Again, they may not acknowledge it, but they live it anyway. Okay, so, but But science is the same thing, isn't it? You know, why do we pursue science? I mean if you're if you're a scientist, you know, pouring over the numbers and the data that you're seeing from the stars, or for that matter, from the, the, the um the microscope and the, the the bacteria that you're studying, whatever you're doing, how big or small that you may be studying it, why are you studying it? What's your purpose? What's what's your goal? Just to describe something? What's the point?
2: For a job with tenure?
1: Yeah. Is it something that self centered uh, and stupid? Well, that that could be it, but but generally speaking, you know, a science, I'm just talking about the classic scientist. Why are you studying it?
2: Yeah, why why have you taken a job where your the the actual job description is the pursuit of discovery?
1: Right, right, right. And science, what what the way science is today is the equivalent of looking at the Leonardo da Vinci's um, Leonardo da Vinci's painting, uh, the Last Supper, for example, and and only studying it like micro centimeter, a square centimeter at a time, and not seeing the larger picture, right? Okay, well, this, this, this particular centimeter has, uh, has this much paint and this much, um, you know, material, and, and it's been stroked uh, this way by the paintbrush and such, and that's interesting. And then you move on to the next one, but you never step back and see, what's, what is it trying to tell me, right? I mean, that would be insane. That would be stupid. The whole point of art is to see the big picture, not just to see a, a, a tiny fraction of it. You must see the big picture. And science doesn't give a damn about the big picture yeah, these days. Yeah, it's
2: interesting you brought that one because the big picture of that, I hope this is not off topic, it's very interesting. What does it say? It says, Jesus was a Jew celebrating Passover.
1: Right, that's true, that particular picture. Fascinating. That's right, yeah. Okay. But, but here, here are some other areas of science where there is clearly no purpose. Better yet, there's no structure. There is purpose, but it's a, it's a misguided per, purpose. I want to talk about two of them. And, and after I'm done with this, uh, please let me know or if, if anything else comes to mind for you. One is uh, the, the global population scare, which kind of, kind of came and went. Uh, and then, of course, the present uh, sky's falling threat, which is the climate change threat. Okay, so the population scare, there was no science to it. There was theories behind it, but they didn't actually have any science. What are they going to say? You know, we're all, gonna, we're all going to uh, overpopulate ourselves. We're going to start cannibalizing ourselves by the year 1990. Yeah, we're that gonna, was the
2: theory. We're going to starve because there's no food. We're going to drink up all the water, and we're going to choke on our, each
1: other's uh, excrement. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> that, that's, and it's going to be a, hor- a horrific lifestyle, so we better you know, stop uh, producing so much. Thank you very much. And it wasn't scientific because it could not possibly predict, you know, the fact that there's innovation. I mean, in fact, it was unscientific because if they were truly scientific, they would figure out that humankind would actually adapt to to this situation and actually improve the lives. And sure enough, in the year 2016, we have more food than ever, um, less poverty, less hunger in the world than ever before, not worse. Okay? We have a, more of a lot of other issues, like more crime and, and, and more communism, more, more, more stupid thinking. <laughs> but we don't have a problem with food. It's getting better and better every year. So not so scientific, my friends. Okay? So, but, it, but it passed off as science. The reason why, my friends, there was no structure. There was no guiding principle to, to the study of the world hunger issue or the population scare. Same thing with climate change. There is no science to this. There's no, uh, sorry, there's no structure to to this so-called science because it's ignoring basic facts such such as the fact that we're coming out of an ice age still takes hundreds of years, and so we're not out of it. So to, to simply look at the fact that we're going out of it and not understanding that we're coming out of an ice age, well, of course it's warming. And then to claim that somehow it's coming from human Causation and that it's mostly from causation from humans and I and all the and then they don't talk about the actual damage that's going to result. When in fact, the sea levels are actually decreasing. There's no science to it. There's no structure at the very least. What there is behind it, what is motivating it and, and what is the sun, as it were, around which everything is circling is an agenda. The agenda of of trying to control people. And using the scare of climate change as a a tool to do exactly that. So there ain't no structure there, folks. They they pretend that there's structure. They they say there's somebody behind that magic, that curtain that's controlling everything. And that everyone is very smartly figuring out these issues. And climate change is real and such like that. As if by saying it over and over again that it becomes real. But there ain't no science to this. And there's certainly a no structure to this. So, and, and you see this in other, in other areas as well, in terms of the purported studies, right, and all the, all the things that, that pass off as science. But they're all, generally speaking, agenda-driven. So. Do
2: you know what's so fascinating about both examples you gave? Yeah. In particular, based on the subject matter of this episode, you're talking about science having a purpose to discover and hopefully bring us closer to God. Right. In human existence, life was much more awful for the vast majority, in fact, all of us, in years gone by than it is today. It's much easier to accept God as real when life is good than when life is terrible. So isn't it interesting that the two examples you cited, uh, scares about human population, which would incentivize less of us to exist, right. or the pursuit of the Cahodic... Um, goal of reducing human standards of living worldwide to be deferential to some magical temperature number, are both things designed, when pursued, to separate people further from God by having people, left people exist in the first place, being alive, to Acknowledge God, right. or have people live harder, more miserable lives so they have left less, less time in their life to pursue philosophical and divinity pursuits.
1: Well, I, I think of it's accepting a, God in their life. Well, I think climate change is merely a tool of socialism. It's a, uh, it, it's just a, another way to advance socialism. And and if you if you want to challenge me on that, by all means, talk to me because I or write to me and of I'll course, explain to I you. can I
2: make one quick point about that? Yeah. which is interesting. Um, in days past when we had these
1: what i'm saying is that socialism uh, the complaint that you were saying or the the query that you have about the climate change purpose and the and the the the, the global population scare purpose it's really the same purpose as the socialism oh, purpose oh
2: absolutely but but what's interesting is that in in years past the great argument between free market economics and socialism was that uh, the socialists would say Well free markets promises prosperity Socialism will give it to you faster and easier Turned out to be a big fat lie Right But they, they used to argue that uh, Well we want everyone to be prosperous too Just this different path Rightly or wrongly now, After being so soundly defeated By not being able to provide prosperity to people They then Turn their tactics And assail prosperity in and of itself Right as a yeah. reason to go socialist, it, 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 in effect, um, acknowledging the point, there's no way we can provide you prosperity by doing these idiotic governmental and economic systems. So oh, let's just throw away prosperity yeah. to begin with.
1: Well, that's it's running a little far afield from what we're saying, but I, I understand yeah. your point. But
2: they are signs to the, the the back to the field yeah. that we're the the line we're on is the this is these are two sciences that are designed to. Instead of just not incorporate God In the thinking, destroy God
1: Yeah, I, I, well in the same way that Socialism is designed to destroy same God way, you, can't, yes. you cannot have God and also Have a full embrace of socialism You can't have both at the same time they, they are inconsistent with each other Why? Because God wants us to be free Socialism doesn't care about freedom The only system that truly Embraces freedom, that loves freedom And that sees it, sees it Joined at the hip with God is free market capitalism. That's, that's the only thing, we've talked about this a few times, and that f- thankfully has a structure in and of itself, ironically, in, in this, what seems to be free market and anything can go, but, and yet we have this incredible structure. You would say that America is far more structured from a uh, health point of view and everything else than let's say uh, Mali in Africa, right? I mean, we have a free market capitalism. They don't. But we're doing fine. We're prospering, and we also have what seems to be a great structure. That's because of laws and everything else. Um, But without God, you cannot have structure at the end of the day. You can't have structure in virtually anything. There is no purpose whatsoever. You take it away from the science field, as many scientists seem to be doing these days, and everything falls apart. It, it makes no sense. You you end up in a in a rhythm where you just are kind of doing things for the sake of doing things, not understanding what the big picture is, what that what what the meaning of the painting is, and you you don't even realize it. It's 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 like, you know, they the corn circles of, of 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 old, right? Where they didn't even realize that it was it was actually spelling things out that might might actually mean something to people who are looking at it from, from below from above. That's the way that we're handling science these days. We have no sense of ourselves and or, or that, that maybe there's something to this. And it's so obvious to you and me because we've let in the possibility, you and I. And that possibility is God. If God is behind science, science lets it make it makes it very clear. As we learn, we realize our one purpose is to truly find God and to acknowledge God, to actually see God in your own way is the step toward true glory, to true salvation. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening.